Let's face it, most filmmakers have no discernible style. What they have is a method akin to that of a student transcribing exercises from a grammar book. Such cinema offers nothing more than a perfunctory frame showing actors as they talk. When the film cuts to another angle, we continue to see the actors talking, and you realise the footage has not been edited so much as simply joined together. In other words, nothing exists between the frames. To use the literary phrase, there is nothing to read between the lines. Such filmmakers are so numerous that they are all but anonymous, and to name them would not only be unkind, it would be an almost endless task. So instead, let's look at filmmakers who have what Sergei Eisenstein called the film sense. They bend, stretch and even break film language in such a way that audiences can still understand what is being communicated. Imagine, if you will, the very first time a flashback was used in film. Completely new, but somehow the transition was done in such a way for audiences to grasp the revolutionary switch. Likewise, the first time parallel action was presented. Or how about one of the biggest no-nos, crossing the line? In the hands of master filmmakers, it isn't flawed, but rather fluent grammar. So, when they show you something, their camera does not record, but reveals, reacts, provokes, engages. It helps express the scene. When they edit, the shots aren't joined together, but rather fused, welded, sculpted. Not only do these filmmakers have their own unique visions, they know how to realise those visions, and they know that their visions will connect with audiences. But while there are very few such filmmakers, even fewer are so in control of the medium that they can change their style from one film to the next. For instance, look at the films of Alejandro Inarritu. As writer, director and producer, he exploded onto the screen some 14 years ago with his debut film Amores Peros. Set in Mexico City, it had three plot lines all intersecting in a car crash. Shot with an almost incessant handheld camera and a pared-down colour scheme that complements the naturalism of the cast performances, the movie won dozens of awards worldwide and bought Inuritu American financing. His next picture, 21 Grams, which he made in the US, also had several intersecting plot lines, which he delivered in the same shooting and editing style. The same went for the acting. Only this time, Inuritu added a non-linear structure, which was challenging to some because he did not signpost the shifts in the timeline. Instead, he just slipped into the past and then flipped back to the present. How many lives do we live? How many times do we die? They say we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of our death. Everyone. And how much fits into 21 grams? With his third film, Babel, he went global, this time interlinking the disparate plot by way of a deadly rifle. What happened? Okay. Honey, what, honey, what happened? What happened? His last picture was beautiful, a movie about a criminal trying to provide for his children before he dies. 
All very unique, but all so very bleak. Barely a belly laugh between them. Now comes Birdman, a seismic shift in tone and style from everything that has gone before. So much so, that if you did not see Inyoritu's name in the opening credits, you would be hard pushed to realise he was the same director. It's funny, sad, thrilling, compelling, elusive and deceptive, which is why I described Inyoritu's earlier films as bleak. Here he has given us an array of emotions, and the story flows rapidly and rapturously because of them. We don't have an actor. Uh-huh. And if we cancel the first preview, the press is going to smell blood. And we can't afford to lose any more money at all. Okay. What do you think I should do? Well, we hired understudy. Let's use the understudy. No. Reagan, listen to me. Please, for the love of God, listen. Our perfect dream actor is not going to knock on that door and go, Hey, fellas, when do I start? You know? Can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, what's up? Did you find another actor? No. Okay, well... Mike's available. Yes, mm-hmm. Mike who? I thought he was doing the thing. He was. He quit or got fired. Mike who? Which is it? Quit or fired? Well, with the Mike, it's usually both. Mike fucking who? Shiner. Yes. Jake. Oh my gosh! How do you know Mike Shiner? We share a vagina. I think he'd want to do it. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Because he told me he wanted to do it. Jake. Yes. Jake. Yes. Ask me if he sells tickets. Fine. Does he sell tickets? He sells a shitload of tickets. Okay. Now ask me if the theater critics love him. The theater critics love him. They want to spooge on him. Hey, Leslie. Right on his face. Everything for a reason, right? Another thing that flows is the camera. It never stops moving, constantly following Regan Thompson, an actor who, just like Michael Keaton, who is portraying him, once starred in a comic book franchise, but who is now trying to relaunch himself creatively with a Broadway adaptation of Raymond Carver's what we talk about when we talk about love. The script is witty and layered, with in-jokes and allusions to appearance and reality, and life imitating art, and social media distorting real life, and connecting real lives. But throughout all this, you might wonder why, with the exception of a moment late in the film, where we are treated to a number of single images, did Inuritu decide to shoot it all in one seemingly continuous shot? Perhaps it is to do with the way the film starts. Regan is meditating in his dressing room before he goes into the final rehearsal for his play. Actors often speak of staying in the moment, being emotionally present and respectful to the integrity of now. For many actors, it is the only way to keep the event, the drama, the situation alive to the infinite and spontaneous possibilities of life. Likewise, Inuritu keeps the camera moving in real time, 25 digital frames per second, keeping the moment in the now. And yet, the film only pretends to be shot in one single take. It is really only a series of shots fused together via meticulous planning and then digital manipulation. See what I mean about the appearance of reality? Compounding this is that while the images appear to run before us in real time, at several points the events leap forward in time without any interference to the image. For instance, at one point in the film, Mike, played by Edward Norton, and Sam, played by Emma Stone, are engaged in a conversation backstage. We see them talking, and then the camera gently drifts away from them, and onto a view of the stage from high up in the wings. The camera tilts down, and while we hear the continuing conversation between Sam and Mike, we now see Mike on stage in the distance while the evening's show is being performed. The time within the plot has leapt forward, 
but all visual signs indicate that the real time we are witnessing is still going on at 25 frames per second. A quick aside about that. Jean-Luc Godard famously said that film is truth 24 times a second. And with that in mind, the way the opening credits are treated is very reminiscent of the way Godard did his opening credits for films such as Pierre Olofou and Weekend. I love you. I know I've seen it. I know. I really wish I wouldn't have videotaped your birth, though. Why? Guys, I just missed the moment, really. Don't have it. I should have just been there with the two of you. You know, just the three of But I wasn't. I wasn't even present in my own life, and now I don't have it. And I'm never going to have it. You have Sam. Really, I don't. I mean, she's. No, no, no. Listen, she's just. No, going no, no. Through. I get. It. I understand. You know, she needed to have a dad. Instead, she got this guy who's a, a three-day viral sensation. It is so pathetic. Mm, no, come on. There no, are more pathetic things than that. Yeah, like that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I think, is one of the keys to opening another space in the film. Regan is talking with his former wife Sylvia, played by Amy Ryan, and the scene happens as ever in one continuous shot. The camera forever unblinking, capturing their every word and gesture. And yet, just as Regan said, it doesn't capture everything. But by including that emotionally charged confession, Inuritu offers up his own unique critique of his own unique film. In a film set in a theater, examining amongst other things, artifice and disingenuousness. Such sincerity comes as an unexpected and very pleasant surprise. Yet, nothing in this script is happenstance or a coincidence. For example, the play being performed is an adaptation of Raymond Carver's What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. The very title lets us know that we don't always say what we mean. We dance around the issue and in so doing, we invent things to camouflage our pain our suffering, our hope, our love. And so we grow confused as to what is really being said. Things are no longer what they are, but what we say about them. In Regan's dressing room, he has a small note set into the side of his mirror, which reads, a thing is a thing, not what is said of that thing. Very Buddhist, which is why in the opening shot, we see him levitating while he is meditating. So in a way, the whole movie is about Regan's struggle to stop being what he says of himself or what other people say of him and to simply be, to be or not to be. It's what we all seek. It's what we all crave. And when we achieve it, we slip those weights that so tie us down and then we fly. <laughs>